On the screen is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. And I, you just heard me talk with the kids about the first half of it. Making every effort to live in peace with all people. But the, the second part of this verse is the thing that kind of gripped me for us for this morning. It says to be holy. This is a command. We are to not only live in peace, but we are to be holy. And the thing that's, that really kind of gripped me was not so much the be holy part, because I, that part, that part's a given. You know, I, I want to live a life of purity and holiness and righteousness. But the writer of Hebrews literally said, if you don't have holiness, you will not see the Lord. And I thought about that. And in trying to reflect, my first thought was, well, I'm a, a minister in the Church of the Nazarene. And Nazarenes, we are known as holiness people. And what does that mean? Well, holiness from that, from our perspective is that we believe that God not only saves us, but God sanctifies us, sets us apart for holy purposes, makes us holy in His sight through a second work of grace with, with uh, by the Holy Spirit and cleanses the carnal nature and empowers us to live this, this life of holiness before him and before the world. And when I use that thought and plug it into this, then that kind of skews the idea of grace. Because Ephesians says, it is by grace that I've been saved through faith and that it's not of me or anything that I can do. It is only a gift of God. That way I can't boast about it. So if, if a person is saved by grace, what happens if that saved person is killed in a car crash before they ever even hear the message of second blessing holiness? Are they with the Lord? Well, I would say, yes, of course they're with the Lord. But if that's indeed true, then how does this verse fit with my theology? Because if it says, without holiness, I can't see the Lord, and a person has never experienced second blessing holiness, as we understand it, taught by us to us by Wesley and, and James Arminius, then what does this sentence actually mean? If a person can be saved and go to be with the Lord, whether they've ever been entirely sanctified or not, what does it mean to not see the Lord without holiness? As, as you look through, uh, if you happen to have a strong concordance, or if you happen to be a scholar, Greek, language, um, you can see that this word holy or holy uh, yeah holiness in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 it is the greek word hagiasmos i'm not a greek scholar i've never studied greek so i'm not sure that i'm pronouncing it correctly but hagiasmos is sanctification or holiness if you look at Another famous, if you will, um, holiness verse, 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verse 15, it says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. If you look at that word, holy, it is hagios, which is the root of hagiosmos. So this idea in Hebrews chapter 12, 14 is basically the same wording or the same thought as this, be holy in all your conduct because it is written, you shall be holy because I am holy, thus says the Lord. So, what I'm hearing this say is that this idea of holiness that's talked about in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it's not necessarily talking about this idea of entire sanctification where the Holy Spirit of God has empowered me, has cleansed me from the carnal nature and has empowered me to live a life of holiness. This idea of holiness is living purely, living righteously. And I think there's a tendency for us to confuse the two. Let me, let me explain where I'm going with this. Let me, let me go back to, first of all, this what, this what we teach about entire sanctification. How does that work? Because for me, um, my own experience holds it out to be true, but I've also come across so many people who have argued with me through the years against this idea of a second work of grace. And this idea of entire sanctification. Their words are, when I get saved, I get all of God and God gets all of me and that's the end of it. And I just, when I get to heaven, I become a Christian, I become Christ-like. There's no such thing as perfection or holiness until I get to heaven. Well, what I have come to understand is, is that when I get saved, when I ask Jesus into my life, that is asking God to forgive me of my sins, to justify me before the law of God, so that it's as if I have never sinned. I become adopted into the family of God. I am forgiven of my sins. Um, and I do have the Holy Spirit present with me. But then as I begin to walk this Christian life, I get to the point where I, I, I come across a temptation and there's this this thing inside of me that's like, ooh, I want to do that. And it's in conflict with this idea that I want to live a life that's pleasing to God. And Paul described it in Romans chapter 7. It's, he, he, his words were, who would rescue me from this body of death? This idea that it's constantly pulling me towards death instead of life. And so what we understand from the holiness perspective, is that as we are progressing through our walk with God, we're saved, and then we recognize that there's this carnality that's at work within us, that's drawing us away from the things of God, and no matter how hard we struggle, that's never going away, that it's like, I want it to go away, I want to be like Jesus, I don't want to deal with these constant temptations, but it's like, I can't get out of it, I can't get past it. And so, we understand that we have to come to a point of entire consecration where we say, God, I want you. I want you. Nothing but you. And I want you to have all of me. And so would you please somehow, some way, just make it possible for me to live this life that you're calling me to of holiness. 
And so in that moment, we believe that in that instant, God, in his grace, through the power of his Holy Spirit, entirely sanctifies us. That he cleanses us from the carnal nature. That uh, he cleanses the carnal nature from us, excuse me. And that he then, through the power of his Holy Spirit, empowers us to live a life of holiness and purity. But we don't teach that we are Christ-like completely. Perfectly Christ-like. Okay? If you go back and read some of the writings of, of, of Wesley, if you read some of the other more, more recent holiness writings, what we, what we see the theologians saying is, is that in the moment of entire sanctification, we are cleansed from the carnal nature, we are empowered to live, and we are like Jesus, but the reality is there's still parts of us as humans that has to grow more and more and more like Christ. And so in our theology, we say that we are initially sanctified at, 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 at our salvation, we are entirely sanctified, and then we progress in our sanctification until the time of our death, and at that time, we are then what is called glorified or made perfect. And see, that's one of the, the struggles that people have that, ha, that I've had arguments, and I don't mean arguments, but I mean I've had discussions with about my theology, is they see Christian perfection or holiness as unattainable on this earth. They see it only as something that happens once I get to heaven. And it, we, I have found through the years that as I've discussed this with people, it is more a matter of semantics than it is anything else. Because I'm saying basically the same thing. Of course, I'm not going to be 100% perfectly like Christ until the time that I'm welcomed into the presence of God in heaven. But as I'm living out my life on this earth, I would expect that I would grow more and more and more into the likeness of Christ through the power of God's Holy Spirit, which is empowering me for this life. So from the moment of entire sanctification, when the carnality is dealt with, and now I'm living in the power of the Holy Spirit, I progressively become more and more like Jesus. And the way I would say that that is evidence is if I look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those items, those things, are what we should begin seeing more and more and more in the people who are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ as they are living through the power of the Holy Spirit, which has sanctified them and calling them into holiness. That's entire sanctification. That's holiness from that perspective. But when we're looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, I think what the writer there was saying was, unless you are striving to live a holy life, unless you are walking with an attitude of holiness, purity, desire to be like Christ, you will not see the Lord. And let me let me explain to you where I'm coming from with that. First of all, first Peter, like I just said, chapter one, verse fifteen, the command is be holy, because I am holy. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. It's it comes out of Leviticus, but it's reinforced in the Old Te in the New Testament, saying that it is not something that went by the wayside because now we're in Christ. It's literally still an expectation that every single human being that professes Jesus Christ as their Savior is to be holy. And so many people think being holy is following a list of rules. 
I can remember years ago when I first came into the church of the Nazarene. If you wore shorts to church, you were a sinner. <laughs> no, I'm serious. If you, if you, when I went, when I first joined the church, if you went to the movies, you were not living holy life. If you went to the circus, you were not living holy life. When Renee's father first came into the Church of the Nazarene back in the 50s or 40s, he, it was considered unholy to read the newspaper on Sunday. It was considered unholy to have a deck of playing cards in your possession. It was considered unholy to go to the dance halls. It was considered unholy to dress immodestly. It was considered unholy to have boys and girls swimming in the same swimming hole at the same time. So for many, many decades, the term holiness was thought of as a list of do's and don'ts and rules. And so many people lived their life in a defeated way because they could never live up to the standard of holiness. Because they would always mess up. But see, that's I, again, that's not what I believe this is talking about. It's not talking about if you're not entirely sanctified, you can't be with Jesus. Because we know that God's word clearly says all you need to be is saved by faith. You don't have to progress in your... You could be saved and, I mean, what about the person who's laying on their deathbed, they've never been to church their whole life and the chaplain comes in and they're in their hospital room, leads them to faith in Christ and they die 30 seconds after they make their profession of faith. They've never been entirely sanctified. Are they with the Lord? Yes, of course they're with the Lord. So this idea of no one will see God without holiness is not talking about what we, what we mean when we say living a life of holiness or being entirely sanctified. But it is also, this holiness is not following a list of rules. It's not trying to live up to somebody else's standard or even whatever it says in the Bible. So what is this idea of holiness? And what I submit to you is that you can go right back to the very basic teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. And if you turn to Matthew chapter 5 verse 8, you will see, I'm going to do it on my iPad instead. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. This says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This word pure, it's the Greek word katharos, which means clean, clear, pure. And when we're talking about that, it, it, it is used when it's talking about things being ethically clear or ethically pure. It means free from corruption, free from corrupt desire, from sin, from guilt, free from anything that is false. It is being blameless or innocent. It is being unstained with the guilt of anything. And so... Jesus said, if you're pure in your heart, you will see God. And what I submit to you is this. This idea of holiness in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, 
and this idea of be holy because I am holy, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, and this idea of purity of heart in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, are all saying basically the same thing. God expects, demands, commands every single one of God's children to have an attitude of wanting to live your life in such a way that every part of your life points people to God, is pleasing to God, is lived out for God. It's this sense of, I may not fully understand all the theology, but I know that my heart is, I want to I please my Heavenly Father. I want to be sold out for God in all that I possibly can, in all the ways that I can. It is the idea, excuse me, it is the idea that, um, if you will, separating yourself, again, this idea of sanctification, setting yourself apart, being intentional about the way you live your life and what you bring into your life with the intent of, I want to honor God with every part of my life. And see, now we're, now we're, the, the tendency, the potential is that you can get back into the list of do's and don'ts. And that's not what this is about. See, that, that, it's a balance. I want to live my life in such a way that I want people to see Jesus. I want to be Jesus. I want to be just like Jesus. How do I do that? Well, I certainly don't want to fall back into that. I better not wear the green on Sunday and I better not eat banana pudding and I better not, you know, all of the rules. I want to have an attitude or a heart of, God, when I am frustrated with somebody because of the way that they're acting towards me, I want to be motivated in the way that I respond to them out of a heart of love and not out of selfishness. I want to have an attitude where I respond without trying to, without trying to, um, to, to, to uh, hurt the other person. I know in my own life that I'm not there. I mean, you guys don't need to know what's going on, but my wife and I have had discussions this week about stuff in the way that I've responded in certain, certain circumstances, and I have not responded appropriately or, 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 or correctly in, in, my, in my intent of wanting to live purely and, and righteously and in a holy manner. And she's brought to my attention where things need to be adjusted. Does that mean I'm not going to see God because I messed up in this area? No, it's I'm still trying to learn how to be like Jesus in certain ways. And when it's when I get to the point where I'm recognizing that there's an area that needs some fixing, what I first need to do is I need to say, Jesus, I need the strength of your Holy Spirit to help me to act the way I'm supposed to act, speak the way I'm supposed to speak, walk the path I'm supposed to walk. My heart is I want to be pure, but I don't have it perfectly down yet. Does it make sense? But it doesn't mean that I'm not going to see Jesus because I don't have it perfectly down yet. Because that's one of the things that John Wesley taught. He said there's a difference between sanctification or holiness and Christian maturity. 
Because, and, and for those of us who are over the age of whatever, if you've known Jesus for any length of time, if you've walked this life, there are certain things that you struggled with when you first got saved that it's no longer an issue. You don't even think about it anymore. You just live the life that you're called to live. But there's still some areas of your life that are still maybe a struggle that it's not exactly like Jesus and it's not exactly the way it's supposed to be. And part of that is just you're getting better at living the life of Christ-likeness. You, you are learning how to do the job. It's like any sport or any craft or any art. There is, there is the idea that you get better with time because you practice. That has nothing to do with the power of the Holy Spirit empowering you to do it or not. And it's the idea of walking in that power. Okay, does it, I, I don't know if I'm making myself clear there. Let me, let me, let me back off and say, say, say this. Jesus, I want to be uh, kind. You said one of the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. So God, I want to be kind. So please... As I'm getting ready to go to this meeting this week with the person who rubs me wrong every stinking time I'm in the room with them. Let my words and my heart and my motive be completely to reach out in kindness to them. That's my heart. Now, some of us have progressed far enough in our practice of kindness that we're much better at it than others. And so in my case, I may be very successful at being kind, or it may be that I have to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome some of my weakness in being kind. But my heart's intent is to be kind. And what I'm saying in this discussion of holiness and the idea that without holiness no one will see the Lord is it's not a matter of whether I'm not I'm successful at being kind this week when I enter into the room with the person who rubs me wrong. The, the question of whether or not I'm living a life of holiness is what is my intent even before I get in that room and I'm put into that situation. Is my heart, I want to live for God. I want to honor God. I want to practice the best Christ-likeness that I can and depend on the presence of the Holy Spirit to get me through. That's what I think this idea of holiness is. It's not, did I successfully accomplish what I set out to do at the end of the week? I think, and, and I think you can, you can look at scripture in various places and be able to justify that. Because remember when David was being, when, when Samuel was being commanded to anoint David as the king. What did, they, what did God say to Samuel? He said, I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And I would, I would say that it's justifiable to, uh, to, to translate that just a little bit and say, God doesn't look at the, at the necessary end result of our efforts as much as he looks at our heart. He says, you tried. Your heart was right. You were doing what you thought was right. 
You were not trying to cause harm. You were trying to walk in my strength. You were depending on me. You were conscious of the fact that this was an area where you are weak and you were saying, God, I need your help. All of that God takes into account when he looks at the end result and says, were you successful or not? If you weren't, then we need to adjust. But is that something that will bar me because I didn't live a holy life that, that week? Does, now, there are people who are, who are furrowing their brows at this moment, and I want to make sure that I'm not confusing anybody. Okay, Let me say it one more time, because I don't want to beat a dead horse, but at the same time, I don't want to leave anybody in confusion. God will call sin to account. If you intentionally try to hurt somebody, you're going to answer for it. But if you, in your attempt to live a holy, righteous, pure life before God and the world, are not successful in being kind in every situation, God will talk to you about it, but it's not severing your relationship with God because you struggled in that area. Because God saw your heart. And your heart was, I want to live the way God wants me to live. I want to walk in righteousness and purity and holiness. And as, I, as God empowers me, I'm going to do my best to live that way. If you mess up, then you have to make some adjustments. But it doesn't cut you off from God's presence. And that's what I want us to, to focus on this morning and take into our week God calls every single one of us to live holy, righteous, pure lives. God offers every one of us the opportunity to consecrate ourselves to God, to have God's presence come in and literally write that part of us that got broken in the fall and empower us to live the life that God calls us to, be, to live. And then as we walk in that, consecrated, entirely sanctified experience, we then begin to refine what it means to be Christ-like. And as long as your heart from start to finish is, I want to honor God, I want to live righteously, I want to be a pure and holy person, the end result is not so much what he's focused on as the heart as you walk that thing. And that's what I think we need to understand this, this week as we are facing whatever it is that you're going to be facing this week. Don't beat yourself up if you're not 100% successful. Make sure that your heart is right. Make sure that as you walk the walk, that God has nothing to call you on as far as your heart's intent and your desire to live a life of purity and holiness and righteousness.